morning again. Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we're in part two in the only two parts of a teaching series called Deep and Wide. And as the lights come on in just a moment, you'll be able to see all that stuff that we're going to be dealing with this morning. But here's the deal. I want to kind of give you a precursor of what's happening over the next few weeks, okay? We're in the middle or at the end of a teaching series called Deep and Wide. We dealt with deep last week. We're going to deal with wide this week, okay? And this is all about what's happening in the life of our church over the next six months. This is our rally cry. As we move forward, as we think through, as we plan, as we strategize, as we move beyond a pandemic into a place to where we look like God's calling us. Y'all with me on that? And last week we dealt with deep, and I'll cover that in just a moment. Next week we're going to start a series called The Church. Now here's why we're doing this. I am not dumb enough, I'm pretty dumb, but I'm not dumb enough to think that everybody knows everything about why we do things in church the way we do them. And so for the next four or five weeks, we're going to talk about what the church is meant to be like, why we have elders, what are deacons, what are pastors supposed to be, how we're supposed to operate, why it's important that you have a say, what it means to have a church authority and deal with autonomy, and what it means to really focus in on follow through with the mission that God has given us. So we're going to deal with that because as we move forward with this deep and wide idea, it's important that we're unified. Y'all with me on that? Then we're going to have Palm Sunday, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then Easter Sunday, we're bringing all of our services together and renting out Innovation Amphitheater at Sims Academy. And so make sure you're there for that and bring as many people as possible. We packed that thing out last year. We're going to pack it out again this year. Y'all with me? This is a great springboard to share the gospel with our community and really come together as a church family so that's what's happening over the next several weeks so make sure you write all of that stuff down and be here don't miss now this morning we're dealing with the idea of going wide as a church now last week we dealt with deep and here's what the whole clarification and understanding of what it means to go deep is that we don't sit in the shallow end of the pool spiritually speaking but we go deep into God's word we go deep into biblical application we go deep in compassionate relationship in the covenant family of Christ we go deep in our understanding of God and here's the point and here's what we need to grab hold of many of us just stay right where we are when it comes to our faith right some of us have known Jesus for 30 plus years but we've never got beyond the blessing at the dinner table God wants more for you not out of you but for you you understand that right he wants more there's so much more one of the things that's just like a heartbeat for me in ministry is I want you to grow and understand what it means to love the Lord with all your heart soul mind and strength and we dealt with that last week but here's the thing when you go deep you can't just stay there because going deep as a believer also means you have to go wide now it was almost exactly 15 years ago today. I was thinking through this in my time with the Lord and time of prepping this message this past week. 15 years ago today, my wife and I sold our little house in Hammond, Louisiana. We rented the largest Penske truck we could find. We packed it up. Uh, then we had to pack up my office and didn't consider all that. So we put a U-Haul trailer on the back of my very old dilapidated Ford F-150. Asked my sister and an old buddy to come down. We packed our eight-week-old Caroline into a car seat. We put my son, who's three years old at the time, into the other car seat. My sister jumped in the passenger seat with my wife. They took off back to Georgia. And my, my friend and I drove all the way back and started River Hills Church. Fifteen years ago today, we bought a house and sold a house in three days with an eight-week-old, and I'm still married. <laughs> but we left Louisiana to start River Hills Church 
with the idea of we want to see a church to do four, to do four things. We want to have a high value of truth. What does that mean? We believe, we believe here at this church that the gospel is the only reason to live and is the hope of life and is the presence in which we exist. We believe that the gospel and God's word are our core value. We believe it is the thing that changes everything. Then we also believed in the idea and we wanted to demonstrate authenticity in the church. What does it mean to be authentic? That means this, we realize at River Hills that you're crazy and jacked up just like your pastor and we need to create an environment to where people who are far from God can come in and be loved by the people of God make sense we're not asking you to follow laws we're asking you to follow grace we want you to be authentic here we also said we want to be a church that's relational relationships are important are they not that's the sticky factor in everything that we do it's why we have Thanksgiving dinner that's why we have that friend that we get, have coffee with every week. We want to be a church that's highly relational, which means sometimes we go smaller in order to go larger. And then finally, we have a value of other people that regardless of your culture, creed, or context, we believe that Jesus has open arms for you here. And one of the things I'm very thankful for in our church and proud of is the multi-ethnic, multicultural flavor that we have. We want to go more, we want to go deeper in that, by the way. That's who we are. And 15 years later, it's wonderful to look out on this crowd of folks and the next service and what I see during the week and see that God has presented that to this community. I'm so thankful for that. But there's so much more to be done. Last week, we dealt with the depth of God. But you can't go deep in an authentic way with also without going wide. Those two hold each other in balance. And we're going to go back to Luke chapter 10. We were there last week uh, when Jesus gave us the greatest commandments, and we're going to stay there this week. Now, we're going to deal with a passage I've dealt with several times before. We're going to think through some of the things that uh, we dealt with before but also I want to give you four principles that we're going to deal with straight out of the passage to begin to apply to our lives as this church goes deep and wide because here's the deal like I said before this is our rally cry this is where we're headed we want to get you deeper in your relationship but we also want to go to wide and let know let people know in this community and around the world that there is hope y'all with me on that even more so now in Dubai there is what they call the deep dive swimming pool have y'all seen this they built a hotel around a swimming pool that is literally 196 feet deep you go to the can you imagine this you go to the top floor and you look down i mean this these these buildings are massive obviously at least 196 feet tall right and you can deep dive into this now here's the problem with that though for a person who doesn't like to be uh in closed space enclosed spaces is that you can't go further outside than the walls of that hotel and there's so much more that you're missing and i feel like a lot of believers go deep but they don't move beyond right here y'all with me on that I also feel like a lot of believers go wide, but they don't move here and going deep into Christ. The two are vastly important for both of us in our pursuit of knowing Jesus. And so what we want to deal with this morning is how do we go wide? Biblically speaking, we've got the idea of what it means to go deep, but we can't negate God's calling to go wide. So let's look at what happens here. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10. 
We're going to go where we were last week. Notice what happens, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is what we dealt with last week. Basically, how can I get to heaven? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the point. He's saying, let the totality of your life, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, we dealt with this last week, be Christocentric, be God-focused, be focused on him. And that was what a good Jew did in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We transition that to the New Testament. For those of you that know Jesus, that's your calling right there. Love Jesus with everything. Let your life focus around him, period. But then there has to be some action steps out of it, and he comes to the next commandment, the second greatest commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, this does not come natural to us, just like loving God with our whole lives. It's something we have to put effort into because loving your neighbor as yourself, some of us have been around some pretty poor neighbors, right? Some of us have been around some neighbors that we just don't like. We've been to Walmart before and realized loving your neighbor yourself is hard, right? So how in the world do we do that? What does that look like? And so Jesus follows up with an illustration. Many of you have heard this before. He says this. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and says, hey, who is my neighbor? Now, for a good Jewish person, this is an appropriate question because typically Jews stuck with Jews, right? But there was a region just north of them called Samaria. And Samaria was a region to where there were Jewish people who married into non-Jewish people and they were completely hated by everyone else. In fact, for a good Jew who was traveling north, they would walk around Samaria not just, just, just so they couldn't be around these people. They despised them so much. And so Christ gave, gives the illustration. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, this was pretty normal in that day and age. To be attacked by a robber was something, it's why you didn't travel alone. You went with a group of people because robbers would hang out behind rocks and mountains. And as soon as they saw someone that was vulnerable, they'd attack them, rob them, and typically kill them. And notice what happens. In Jericho, where they attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, notice what happens. You know the story. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, why did he do that? This is the priest. This is the person that's supposed to model this. Agreed? But he sees the guy who's half dead, another Jewish brother, and instead of going near him, he walks away on the other side. There could have been a lot of reasons. It could have been a the thought that he may already be dead and he didn't want to become uh, spiritually or ceremonially unclean. It could be he was a scared because maybe the robbers were using that as a ploy to bait him into coming close to the body and they could attack him. But whatever it may have been, he walked away on the other side. Then, next guy. So, to a Levite who was also the priest's helper. These were supposed to be godly people. They saw him. And we came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But then notice what happens. A Samaritan, the person that the guy who has been beaten is supposed to hate, comes near him. And every inclination in the Samaritan's idea of, of living out what it means to have vindication and justification, every indication would be like, let him die. Right? That guy hates me. They have treated me and my kind as second-class citizens forever. Let him die. And in many ways, from a humanistic standpoint, he'd have been totally justified, right? 
But I want you to notice what he does. You know the story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, it says he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. And that word pity means deep, deep compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him into the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Embarrassingly, I'm sure, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And he said, go and do likewise. Now, in my mind, this is the idea of wide. The depth, going back to Luke chapter 20, chapter 10, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And then the wide, love your neighbor as yourself. They go together, right? And I would submit to you, if you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, but yet we say we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, listen to me, we really aren't. If we're not loving our neighbor, we're missing the depth. You with me? So what does it look like to go wide? Now here's some action steps, yet some principles. And these are going to be somewhat shallow, and then we're going to circle around to the end. First thing I want you to understand is this, be aware be aware now what do you mean by that what does it mean to be aware of what's happening around you go back to the text here Luke chapter 10 notice what happens specifically verse 33 but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and he saw him now I just want to focus on that phrase saw him now the Levite saw him the priest saw him but the Samaritan was distinctly aware of his need and for you and I to go wide and for this church to go wide, we have to create, a, have a sense of awareness of what's going on around us. We have to be aware. That's your first principle. We have to be aware that there are people in need. We have to have an awareness that in our community, 90% or more of the people in this community don't know Jesus. Do you realize that? We are living in the third largest population of people who aren't Christ followers in the world in the United States there has to be an awareness here that there are people who are extremely lonely in your neighborhood whether because of isolation due to the pandemic or because of isolation or just burn bridges in their own life personally and that's not God's plan for us is to leave them hanging there has to be awareness that 90% of this community doesn't know Jesus but listen to me the student population is far greater. We have one of the largest student ministries in this county. But here's the deal. We're not even scratching the surface. There are scores and scores and scores and scores of students who haven't heard the gospel or don't understand what it means. There has to be an awareness that there are things around us that the mental illness in our area needs to be dealt with from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, right? The government's tried to fix it, and they failed miserably. There has to be awareness that there are minority groups all over this community who speak a different language that need to hear the gospel and have great biblical churches. And that population continues to grow. There has to be awareness that there are broken, they're hurting, and there are people without Jesus. And see, we have to choose as a church 
You have to choose as an individual whether you're going to be like the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. Most days I find myself being like the Levite or the priest, don't you? I mean, if we're being honest with each other, right? If we're called to love our neighbor as ourself, most days, most days, I live my life in frustration and irritation with people rather than love. Is it just me or y'all like that too? Please affirm me on this because I'm feeling very, very insecure. <laughs> Understand this, and this is what's beautiful about the, the Good Samaritan. The idea of going deep and wide is that we have to do what it takes to cast the vision and the message of the gospel to the community. If they respond or not, it's up, not up to you. Our job is just to bring the message and to love people where they are. That's why our value here is to love other people. But there's more to the story. Keep reading. Go back to that verse in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. And here's your point. Be compassionate. Be compassionate. Now, for some of you, you were born with the inclination to be compassionate. For others of us, we were not, right? But when the Samaritan saw the guy who had formerly hated him, he took pity on him. He had deep compassion on him. You know, this past week, um, I, I, I watched the news a lot when there's a lot of current events happening that are of a historical nature. And you've probably done the same thing, whether on your Twitter feed or social media feeds or, you know, watching the news or whatever it may be in the newspaper, you've watched what's happening in the Ukraine, right? And has your heart broken? Have you had compassion? I mean, we all saw the tank roll over the car with an elderly person on it. Did, did we hurt for that? And, and so here's the deal. And, and here's where I want you to go. Do we hurt for people who are going to hell? That's just as bluntly as I can say that. I mean, we, we hurt for people, and we rightfully should, for people who maybe don't have enough food or, or were without. But do we hurt for people who don't have the joy of the Lord like we have? Does it break our hearts? You know, you know this is so representative of what the gospel is supposed to be, is that even when they hate you, you love them anyway. Now, Chip, where do you get that? Well, I think we first go to Jesus, right? As he's hanging on the cross. What do you say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're what. Don't know what they do. That's the essence of going wide is we got to love. But this next principle, this next point that we see in this passage is where the rubber meets the road. Because I don't know about you, um, having awareness is pretty easy right having compassion and feeling bad about it it's pretty easy too agreed but here's the next step and this is what's going to differentiate between you as a person who chooses to go deep and wide and a church that chooses to go deep and wide and everybody else because there are churches across this country and across this world right now that are praying for people and asking God to do great things but only a handful are saying I'm going to do something about it and here's the point notice what happens next he does this. 
But when the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, verse 30, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and then notice what happens. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, putting on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him into the inn, and took care of him. Here's the point. He was intentional about what he did something. That's the difference between having a compassion that's human and a compassion that's biblical. There's an action that follows where they choose to be intentional. And that's what we're called to do as a church. And that's what you're called to do as an individual. Let me ask a question before we go on. That's your third principle, be intentional. Let me ask this question here. If you call yourself a Christian, this is just, just kind of something you do in your own mind, do you feel like it's your responsibility to share the gospel? Or is it mine? Or the leaders in the church? It's all of our responsibility. It's all of our responsibility. It's your responsibility to share the gospel with your kids, first and foremost. With your families, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your that's your responsibility. When we choose to say, I'm going to be intentional, we choose to say, hey, I want to see a difference being made in this community. If we believe in the gospel, if we say this stuff is real, we're going to go deep into it because this is the essence of why we exist. And we're going to go wide with it because we want others to know. Be intentional with it. But there's one more aspect to this. And here's where we go from the idea of making converts to making disciples. Now, I want to say this as a person who grew up in the rural south in the 80s, okay? In the 70s. Uh, is this. Is that many times we find our, our faith wrapped up in events. Are y'all with me on that? I, I grew up in church, and we went to an event and a guy preached a great message and it pulled at your heartstrings and immediately y'all any y'all with me on this you got up and walked forward and you got saved like 86 times before you graduated high school y'all with me on that or maybe you watched the Billy Graham crusades which I praise God for people like that and they preached a message and if you understand where I'm going some of you younger guys don't get it but they would play the song just I as just as I am 58 times and one more time, the vans are going to wait, and you came down. For, and all, those are great things. Then if you come from a liturgical background, maybe you were confirmed, and you made sure that you went through that. Listen to me. One of the things that we've done in this culture is that we've created converts and not disciples. You follow me on that? Because anybody can have an emotional experience. I've been to Georgia football games and had an emotional experience before. I've been to a country concert and had a great emotional experience. Y'all with me on that? There is a distinct difference between being a convert and being a disciple. I am converted to like Briar's ice cream. Y'all been there, right? But to be a follower of Christ is something radically different. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Jesus makes this statement here. He says, go and make what? Disciples. That's important. That's where we take people from being lost to being found to being deep so they can go wide too y'all with me where do we get this keep reading notice what happens here in verse 35 the next day he took out two denarii he gave them to the innkeeper he said look after him he said and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have now here's the point and Jesus I believe this is so obviously so intentional Jesus said it making sure we understand this 
You be, you be aware, you be compassionate. This is what the church is called to do. We be intentional with the gospel, but then you be there for them. That's why this new series we're starting next week is so important as we become the church. You don't leave them hanging. Now, sure, there are going to be times where people come to know Christ and you never see them again. And we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit does his work. But as a body, you be there for them. You get them engaged in the body of Christ. You get them engaged in a nurturing life group or discipleship group. You get them engaged in growth and help them learn what it means to follow Christ. It is a, we don't leave them hanging, guys. We don't do an invitation and call millions of people forward and then just say, good luck. You got to grow them. You got to be there for them. And the thing that's so beautiful about the tale of the, of the story or of, of the Good Samaritan is this. Is that he continued to be there for this guy in the midst of everything that's going on. We are called to care for to make disciples, not just converts. So here's the question we want to deal with this morning. How are we going to do that here? How are we going to do this as a church as a whole, and how are you going to do this as an individual? Now, we laid out last week our vision over the next five years. We want to plant 10 churches. We've already got one going in Santiago, Dominican Republic. They're about to spin off another. That's great, is it not? We want to see 100 people baptized a year. Now, I hate putting numbers on stuff like that because God may say, no, you're only going to get 10. And that's fine. We're going to work real hard, though. We're going to work real hard to hopefully over the next five years see that many people come to Jesus because here's the thing. In the next 10 years in our community, we're going to see a 40,000 person or household increase in this community. Multiply that times three. That's 120,000 people, right? They're going to need Jesus. So we want to see that. And then we want to see 1,000 people go deep dive into discipleship. We have more small groups than we've ever had before. If you're not in a small group, there's no excuse. You need to get engaged with those things. We have men's groups, women groups, kids groups, student groups, every type of group. We've got a virtual group starting. I mean, here's the thing, man. Get engaged and grow deeper. We want to see 10,000 gospel presentations from individuals in this church. Not from a platform, but from one-on-one -on -one conversations across coffee. Make sense? We want to equip you to do that. That is the scariest thing to do in life. Agreed? Right? You'd, you would probably rather jump out of a plane and be questionable about your parachute than to share the gospel sometimes, right? But we want to equip you to do it. If you know Jesus, you have a story. Start with your kids and keep going. We want to see 100,000 service hours given to this community, and we want to see $1 million given in order to express the gospel. That's our vision. That's how we're going to go wide, and that's also how we're going to go deep. Y'all with me? But us coming together to say, look, this is what God's called us to do in order to move forward. Some of these goals are already happening because you as a church say, you know what? Truth is so important. Authenticity is vital. Relationships are important encouraged and important to us and other people are valued y'all with me so here's the thing here me give you a couple steps of application and we'll get out of here so here's some next steps for you to take on you personally and we're going to do something in a minute to really encourage this number one here's the point get to know those here there's so many new faces so many new people walking in our doors get to know the people here if you see somebody you don't know you may be an introvert grab an extrovert and go with you okay 
shake a hand grab me I don't know any strangers all right but get to know somebody maybe make it your goal every week I'm going to meet somebody I don't know and do my best to remember their name and say hey to them the next week sound good second thing is this share with those there meaning outside of the walls of this church share with those your friends your family members your associates and your neighbors invite them share with them your story nurture relationships begin to pray for them and ask God to soften up their hearts and then there's a third thing pray pray for God to do great things to bring about that gospel healing in people's lives y'all with me in 1806 one of my favorite stories was a group of five students from local colleges in Massachusetts came together in a grove of trees and their objective was this they were going to get together these five guys and they were going to debate theology now it's not something we do now we just make fun of each other on TikTok but they came together and they debated theology and while they were there a big storm came up suddenly and they were able to find refuge underneath a bent over haystack and during that storm they began to pray for missions so they were debating and talking about how to do missionary work and theology in places in Asia and they began to pray then in that moment in 1806 that God would do something great and out of that, that what we call the haystack revival in that moment the modern mission movement started several organizations began to form out of the leadership of those five men one of them over the next 50 years sent 1250 missionaries overseas all because it started underneath a haystack in a rainstorm in rural Massachusetts isn't that cool and if you want to see revival happen in your life in this community it begins that we get underneath the haystack and begin to pray we begin to ask God to do something so here's what we're going to do this morning I'm going to have the band come up I'm going to pray at the end of this time and we haven't done this in a while I'm going to open up this makeshift offer and I want you to come and just ask God to do something maybe in your heart maybe you want to stay where you are seated maybe you want to I'm going to stand over here maybe you want me to pray with you about something specific but began to ask God to begin to do something in this community in your life maybe there's somebody specific in your mind that you want to pray for maybe you need to grab me or someone else and say hey will you pray for my son will you pray for my daughter will you pray for my friend and ask God to move in their lives y'all with me on that so we want to take just a few minutes just to begin to get under our haystack and ask God to, to do something y'all with me so let's pray together I'm not going to say amen the band's going to play I'll say hey you can stand and as you stand you want to come down here and pray we'll leave it open for a few moments you want to pray in your seat that's fine and I'll be over to my right and I'm here to pray for you as well let's pray together father we love you and God we're asking in these moments that you begin to work that you begin to do something that you begin to move and that father that in this community in this church that we would choose to go deep and wide that we would choose to move in your presence and in submission to your spirit to do something great for your glory and that God that you would show up you convict our hearts to be equipped we convict our hearts to go deep and that you'd move in our minds to fully grasp who you are that Lord that we would gather up in our whole soul the presence of your gospel that you would move in our schools and the kids would come to Jesus you'd move in our neighborhoods that adults and families would follow Christ that you'd move in our own hearts spiritually that we'll be convicted to do something. Father, we love you.